Y'all may be seated. Um, yeah, obviously I'm Tom. I'm one of the elders here, and I am here because Matt is not. Um, he was scheduled to be down. Uh, actually, I think this was a family visit and vacation. It turned it into uh, Thursday night. He had to preach the funeral for his grandma, so um, he's down there. So uh, please be in prayer for him. Um, he told me everything went well, again, as well as it can be. She's a believer, so it was kind of a celebration type service and that, and he said he made it through all right and did that, but uh, she passed on Tuesday night, and they, they knew this was coming for a long time, So, uh, but just uh, as an FYI, that uh, that's why he's out of town, and y'all are stuck with me. So, um, But we've been in a series here um, on the tail end of the I am statements of Christ, of, of Jesus saying, I am this, I am this, um, that we, by conjecture, we don't have to guess what he's saying. It's, okay, here's what Christ is, is saying about himself, and now we're kind of moving into the we are, as, okay, now as people of God and followers of God, what are, are we? And uh, Matt started last week as we are family, uh, we are adopted into that family, and we're going to move into a different aspect of that here this week, but uh, um, yeah, I'm here and uh, just wanted to take a minute and let you all know that I am rich. I found a deal this week, and I am rich, wealthy beyond means. Um, Kelly, I've been eyeballing your uh, vehicle out there, and I'm feeling a little bit generous today, so I am going to make you an offer you can't refuse. I have here, in this bottle, pure salt. 100% pure salt, filtered, granulated. I am going to trade this for your vehicle. And I, I hope you uh, understand the generosity that I have for this. And you, you seem a little less willing than I was expecting. Um, I mean, this, this is a lot, but... Oh, well, well all right. <laughs> I'm going to let you think on that, and I'm going to set this right here. You can kind of look at that throughout the service and maybe get a little bit tantalized here. Um, some fool at Walmart traded me a little piece of paper for that thing. I, I, unbelievable, but you think on that. I got another deal. I got a uh, little bit better deal. I was at uh, Mike and Rhonda's place a couple weeks ago. I kind of like your farm. That's kind of cool, and, and that um, this is an entire bag of salt. <laughs> 40 pounds of wealth right here. I'd like to own your house if you wouldn't mind. So I'm, I'm going to sit this bad boy right here. I'm going to let you all think of that for a minute. I'll let you keep your tractor, but the rest of it's got to stay. So as you all are looking at me like I'm nuts, and that's pretty real, um, I'm dealing in an economy that's not real right now. Salt used to be one of the prime economies out, you know, close to the first century. Um, we've got the saying, you know, it comes from the Romans, um, if a guy is worth his salt and worth his weight in salt because they were paid in salt. And that was part of their payment that they were made. Today anymore, it's a joke. I mean, I bought that thing of salt for 84 cents. And it's so common and it's, we don't think of it of really having a lot of intrinsic value in that. So... We're beyond that economy, and now we're into a money economy, a power and influence economy, and that through social media. Well, the same thing's going to happen when we go into heaven, 
And let's say we poured all our resources. Um, one of my fascinations has been, you know, I've always wanted to, like, own a gold bar. Like, that looks so cool. And I was just like, man, that'd be awesome when those Fort Knox gold bars. And you're like, oh, look, I got this thing. And, well, I looked it up, and I was like, huh, I wonder if I could ever afford that. And I looked it up, and they're worth right now about 500 grand a piece. And <laughs> I was like... Gold bar ain't in my future, so um, I could think about it or find a plastic one somewhere. Um, and that, and then our resume is the other thing that we're going to have a value is just like, wow, I've been here, I've done this, I've accomplished this, I've got this degree, these kind of things that we bring forward. Um, when we go into heaven and meet Jesus with that and expecting, like, wow, I've collected all this stuff and this is amazing things and, you know, let me bring a gold bar and my resume and all the stuff that I've accomplished, you know, he's going to be like, dear child, put those things down. I'm, I'm sorry, where did you have to pick those up? I mean, you got a piece of used pavement and a filthy rag. And it's like, wait a minute. It's like, the streets are paved with pure gold. We've got this, like, gnarled up, rotted mess that, you know, we have for gold down here. And that it's, we're in the wrong economy. And our deeds, he says, are of filthy rags and that. So we're going to be up there bartering for something that just doesn't have value in that up there. That he's like, oh, please set those down. Come on, you're in by my grace. It's, you know, these things have no value in that. So well, it's important to know what economy we're in. And when we're adopted into Christ's family upon salvation, we're now moved from the economy of the world, which is all those things, and now we're into the economy of love in that um, and that, so the, the best place that we had to camp out on this is going to be 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit, um, but just if you got your Bible, just open it up there. Uh, we're going to do about the first half of that chapter. And this is kind of the Bible's big treatise on love. This is where Paul really kind of broke it down and digested it. There's, you know, obviously scattered elsewhere in the Bible for sure, but um, it's in the context of spiritual gifts, and we're, the Corinthian church was big on, you know, these resume kind of things and this one-upmanship and this, well, I've got this gift and I'm cool and I'm, I've got this and I'm doing this and, and that which Paul's kind of getting there. So chapter 12 is going to be all about how all these gifts relate. Chapter 13 is the proper motive for gifts, which is love. And then chapter 14 goes on to, okay, now how do you use these gifts and what do you go, you know, go ye therefore and do this um, and that. So that's kind of the general context that we're looking at in chapter 13 here. So if we look at just the first three verses, let me read that section there. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So here Paul is laying out some of the big trump cards that we all try to play to have a hand in our salvation, a hand in something that we're doing, um, you know, these are the big cards that, okay, let, let's put this on the table, and then, you know, we're hoping that this is going to outweigh anything else negative that we're doing, like, hey, I've, I've done this and can do this, um, especially in light of gifts, because that, that's the first thing. Um, and just a couple of things here. Don't wig out 
um, about the tongues of men and tongues of angels. Um, I read that, and I was just like, oh, heavens, what am I getting myself into? Um, the tongues of angels, this is the only time that's mentioned in Scripture, and there's like no other reference whatsoever, and no one is ever, no angels ever talking to somebody in some weird babble and vice versa and all that. So don't read too far into that. That's Paul being eloquent and hyperbole, just kind of using this like grandiose kind of thing. So um, don't wig on that, out on that. I did for a little bit when I was reading the section. So and that, but basically just meaning that if I have persuasive powers, if I have communication ability and I'm so great at it that, you know, the tongues of men, tongues of angels, you know, heaven would look at me like, wow, I'm, I'm great. But if I do this and I don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm, I'm a noisy gong, which, you know, gongs and cymbals and that, especially in this day, are, are attention-gathering instruments. It's just, wham! It's like, whoa, what was that? And you know, we're going to look for the gong, and then after that, it's like, okay, stop gonging. You got my attention in that. So, and then the pagan world, that was a big, you know, just make a bunch of noise, make a bunch of noise, make a bunch of noise, and there's no substance to it. And that that's it's nothing. That That's what, you know, speaking ability and all that, you know, is done without uh, love being attached to that. Um, you know, we often say is uh, in evangelism and all that, like we can't persuade anybody to come to Christ. I can't lay out some grandiose argument and save your soul. It's like, I'm sorry, without the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart directing you, apart from that, I can do nothing. And if I do that for a manipulative purpose to, hey, I just got one on my deed list, again, it's nothing. It doesn't matter and if it's done without love. And that, as we go on, it says, and if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and knowledge. Uh, that was another one, prof prophecy and you know, if somebody was going to go prophesy as one of the gifts, that was uh, one of the things that, again, what we see is, from our perspective, is all predictive in nature. Is all like, oh, I've got a prophecy for you. It's you know, such and such is going to happen, and this is, you know, the reveal, you know, future of of what's going to go on. It's like that's a fraction of it, um, but basically, when we break it down, um, a prophecy is the declaration of that which cannot be known by natural means, uh, which is also the Word of God. So it's teaching the Word of God. So if I've got, you know, amazing teaching abilities and that I understand all the mysteries, I've got, you know, the Bible front to, front to back, there's nothing that's hidden. You know, again, this is Paul being, you know, we, we can't possibly do it, know or do any of this. And he's just, again, being embellishing, being over the top. And that if I understand all mysteries, I have all knowledge. And if I have faith so as to move mountains, I have not love, I am nothing. So again, we, we can have all these abilities and understanding and all this, but you know, if, we, it, if we don't have love, then basically we're, you know, the devil has a lot of knowledge and has a lot of understanding and, you know, all that, but it's used for evil means. And, you know, we've got, again, history proves time and time again, we've got just story after story after story of those things where it's, you know, we want to dismiss people as being crazy or out there. It's like, no, they're very rational and very normal. They just have a very different purpose. And, you know, it's going to be directed towards themselves as opposed to the benefit of others. And that, that if I give away all I have 
And if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So now he's hitting at that, you know, point of the deeds of works-based merit of, okay, if I do this, if I, you know, again, that that's kind of the big calling card, especially in our society, that's a very materialistic and, you know, driven in that direction society. It's like, wow, if I gave away all I had, what in the world? Man, would I earn some serious heaven points there because I'm giving up all this stuff and all that. It's like, wow. But Again, in God's economy, deeds without motives are worthless. And it's just self-righteousness. It's just checking a box and all that. And that doesn't, uh, doesn't get us anywhere. Um, body to be burned, again, that, that goes one step further is, okay, let me make the ultimate sacrifice. And for whatever cause, like, okay, I'm going to give my body up to be burned and this horrible, painful death. Again, without love and without that foundation, it's meaningless. And so all these things that we spend our time focusing on, our speaking ability, understanding, our, our total trust, our total sacrifice, and all these were heavily pursued by the Corinthians in that day. But if God's not uh, behind them directing them uh, with love, then we've got nothing. So what this section is really laying down is Paul's just kind of getting to the important part is going, okay, pay attention. Love matters. This matters very deeply. This matters intensively in this section. And then so now the question is, okay, love matters. That's the economy in. What is love? And that, and I would love at this point, um, and that if, if it was appropriate to throw out just like these romantic feelings of like, okay, everybody, what do you see on TV? What is love? And immediately it's, oh, I'm falling in love. I'm just, oh, you know, my wife and I, we will watch a TV show, and it's one of those, again, we understand the show's got a 50 minutes to make their point, but, you know, it's like these two people see each other once, and then all of a sudden, I'm going to give everything for you. And it's like, you have no idea what this idiot is like. Like, what are you doing? And there's this whole enchantment and, and that kind of stuff of, oh, we've fallen in love and and that. And then... It's always, reciprocation is always expected, um, that, oh, I have this wonderful feeling for you, and oh, I do too, and it's a, and we're in the back, you know, puking in the trash can at this point, but um, there's just this ooey-gooey, blah, you know, kind of thing that we have for love. Um, again, past cultures, it's been tragedy. You know, you look at the Greeks, you look at Shakespeare and all that. So I love you so much, but I can't have you, so woe is me, and... You, know, you have this tragic kind of thing, this, you know, I'm going to pursue this person because there's, you know, they complete me, they fulfill me, and there's just all this, you know, like we're expecting something back. And basically kind of the point is the emotions lead instead of following. So we're directed like, oh, wow, you know, this is, and again, I'm assuming it's the pure sense of love and, you know, earnest affection, you know, I would say 75% of our culture, you replace love with lust, and now we're talking truth here and that of what we're dealing with. But again, assuming, you know, we're looking at that. So contrast that with uh, biblical love and what we have um, listed out here. And this, this next section is awfully telling um, in verse 4 through about 8.5 um, that Paul will lay that out. Uh, I read one of the commentaries said that this section is like, 
the prism that breaks up the different parts of love into the rainbow and, and that when you hold the prism up it takes the white light and now you got a rainbow and and that so that's essentially what this section is um, and you really need to go back and do a little homework um, this is most certainly not a class on Greek and um, I'm not the guy to teach it anyway um, but you have to go back uh, Greek language has got like multiple versions of what love means and you know there's affectionate love there's love between man and woman there's brotherly love there's and so there's different words used for that but in english they all kick back and say love and so there there's a little bit of homework that you got to go do and go look into it um and then we also have to remember when we're looking at interpreting some things the bible is the best interpreter of the bible you know if something's a little unclear in one section we go bounce around the rest of the bible and go okay what What's the thrust of the meaning here um, of what we're getting at in the context and um, the culture here? So as we look through um, a variety of scriptures here, just I'm going to take bits and pieces of about five or six of these and just kind of, again, don't turn there. It's going to go too fast, but just kind of let them wash over here and that of, of some of the other avenues. And I had to cut this back from like 80. So uh, there's tons of these in there, but... First uh, John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That dovetails off of what Paul's saying. If you don't love, then you really don't love God because God is love. Romans 5, 8, but God shows us his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Ephesians 3.19 And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and understanding, and, and that goes in Ephesians 5.2 And walk in love, as Christ loved us, he gave himself up for us. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of love is Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, the list goes on and on. Colossians 3.14, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So as we look through this, let's read the First uh, Corinthians 13.4 and read through this section here. Is, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. So as we look through that, those different sections of biblical love, I know when I first studied this years ago, what struck me is you ask the question, is how many of those are based on emotion? None of them. None of them are saying, if you feel compelled to do this, or you know, if you feel an overwhelming affection thereof, now follow it and go do this. It, not one of them is based on emotion, and that was kind of the jaw dropper of, okay, you know what? Now what? What are we getting down to when we're talking? Okay, I need to love somebody. What is that? Because now it's flying in the face of everything that we've grown up in and been saturated in here in the culture, is going, okay, now what, what are we getting at? Um, and basically when you, you know, boil it down here, 
is, I'll use a couple words in, in that, but love is unilateral, uh, which means it's one-sided, it, and it does, that means it does not depend on what that other person is going to do and how they react or what they feel or anything. So love is, biblical love is unilateral, so it, it just comes from one source, and that's all that matters. Now again, that person can reciprocate, and it can be great, they can hate you, but when you love that person, you've done what you need to do. Uh, love is volitional, uh, which means it's an act of a will, so it's not necessarily spurned on by emotion. So I, I can be completely cold and dead towards somebody, but I can still love somebody. And again, it, it doesn't quite compute uh, with what we're used to and what we've got in our minds there. Um, and love is eternal, is it's you know it, it, as we saw in the last half of this section, is it continues to go on and on and on. Uh, the the relieving part to that, and again, this is uh, something that kind of liberated me years ago, was um, you don't have to like somebody to love somebody. That's a head-scratcher, because again, I'd, I'd be in church, and you're trying to figure out, like, okay, I, how do I love this? I really don't like that person. Like, they are not my type of person. It We don't click. It, it's awkward. We... And we had a guy at our other church that was in one of our groups that, nice enough guy, but it's just like, oh my goodness, a conversation is just like dragging him along. Like, okay, what what do you think about this? It's good. Cool. What do you like to do on the weekend? Nothing. All right. Um, can you elaborate? And so it, it, there's people that you just don't connect with, but... That's the relieving part is biblically we're and, and so I'm trying to justify like, okay, you call us to love and you command us to love. I can't make myself like this person. I can't. I'm trying and I can't. That's not the point. You don't have to like them and you just have to love them. And when love is seen as a volitional action that doesn't depend on the other person, it lets you off the hook that, oh, okay, great. I don't have to bring my cultural mindset of, okay, this is the only way I can love them is if I, we have a great time, and this is awesome, I love my friends, and and that. So, again, it, it, it's a relieving kind of thing that uh, we get off the hook and don't really have to, you know, force ourselves to have, you know, an emotional connection with somebody. And that. So, it, as we walk through the words that are listed here, um, again, as I've done homework on different things, as I read through these sections, it's it's easy just to skim right over it and go, oh, okay, I know what patient is, I know what kind is, and I know what envy or boast, it all makes sense to me, and, and that. But again, it, you have to go back to some of the original language and then tease out some of the definitions, and, that, and that's been extremely enlightening for me because you, you figure out, you know, what we're talking about you know, both in the word itself, but then also biblically what that meant in the context. Um, so we'll, we'll try to roll through these pretty quick. But uh, to be patient is to be long-suffering, and almost exclusively in the Bible it's used with people. So we talk about being patient through events or seasons and all that. It's almost exclusively dealing with people when it's talking about that. Um, and that it, it takes anything from others, which means abuse comes in and, okay, we're doing, you know, we're going to roll with it, not losing heart, uh, slow to anger and punishment, braving misfortunes and troubles. Um, and the one that really hit me was the ability to be inconvenienced without getting upset. That one hurt. 
you know, because that, that's initially made. I'm very much a planner, and when something comes out of left field and it wrecks that, my first immediate response is rage. Is just like, why is this happening? Why? And and that and that was love is patient. It, it's an inconvenience. It's like yeah, that something may have happened that is not right, should not happen, and I should not be in the middle of it. But that doesn't matter. Love is patient. This is an inconvenience and. What's my reaction is I'm upset. And again, I, I, we're human. That stuff's going to happen. You're an idiot if you don't get frustrated when something doesn't happen. It, it's, you know, it's a natural response in that. So you know, I, I don't want to get too far in like a judging kind of mode, but, um, but it's just kind of one of those indicators that, again, if, are we bearing with things you know, that inconvenience us? You know, do we fly off the handle and, and just go nuts again? Don't drive with me in Nashville traffic. You will see the worst of this. So, you know, guilty as charged with that. But um, so God and Christ are perfect examples because, again, he went through, came down to earth, went through this life, dealt with a bunch of sinners that hated him and put him on a cross to save them and did not react. The ones he reacted to are the ones that are preaching false doctrine and, and that, and he, you know, corrected that. But love is patient, you know, you didn't see him tearing everybody up in that. And, you know, they're definitely living contrary to his calling. Um, kind is to show oneself mild. Gives everything to others. Useful, gracious, serving. Um, the idea, the same phrase is used in Matthew 11, which is, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's that same kind of correlation between easy and that is kindness. Um, God's kindness leads us to repentance. Um, you know, some of the more convicting things, again, when I go through work and I see, you know, drama building up and all that stuff, and, and you're ready to go, you know, get on with somebody and, and square off, some of the best things that you can do is actually own up to something. You know what? I missed this. This is terrible. I need help. Almost always, that's been like the diffusing part of the problem, like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm being stupid. We've blown this way out of proportion. And, and you see this, you know, release of the pressure happen a lot of times. And that comes from, you know, the same thing. God's kindness leads us to repentance. Uh, he could be up there, you know, executing Ten Commandments, judgment on everything. And it's just like, okay, God, I can't measure up. I can't do this. And there's frustration built there. But when God offers grace to that, it causes us to humble and admit Oh, yeah, you know what? I have been off base in that. So kindness, that's how we exercise that. We see that in, as we deal with our family and in our home. Envy is to burn with zeal and to desire earnestly the things, relationships, or position of another. So to want what somebody else has. Again, we kind of understand that as it, but if you think of it on the other foot is do we rejoice in the success of another? And that's another way to think of it is um, I may justify in my mind like, okay, I don't really want what that person has, but when they fail, do I rejoice? Or when something good happens to them, do I just, I can't believe that. And that, well, that's revealing the heart of envy that we have of something like that. Again, may not be right, may not be wrong. You know, they could be horrible people and good things happening to them. Not saying any of that. I'm just saying our responsibility for love is to not be envious of that because, again, we have 
God is our provider. God is our trust. You know, all these resources to, you know, go through that. Uh, one of the best pictures of how to live without envy is uh, Jonathan and David. And I never thought of it the reverse, um, but again, I read a commentator that picked this up, um, is that Jonathan lived out love to a great example because you think of it, David is the replacement for his father, problem number one. Problem number two, if David succeeds, Jonathan was in line to be the king. And so Jonathan saying, David, I'm going to help you. I'm going to get you away from my father. I'm going to love you as a brother, basically meant he's giving up his entire inheritance, his prominence, and all that in life, and handing that over to David because he loves David and that. So I never caught that because I'm always thinking of David's love in the reverse, you know, of, oh, David's, you know, his great love for his enemy's son and, and all that. But the reverse, it, it cost Jonathan quite a bit. Um, so again, it flies in the face of of that he wanted the success of somebody else. He wanted the success of somebody, you know, pursuing God's role. To boast is a self display, rhetorical embellishments in extolling one's excessive self excessively. So, speaking a lot of yourself and making a big deal of yourself. Um, we see people do this, and we think. Eh, we're relatively immune to this in our culture until we pull up our social media stuff and realize that the world sees 25% of it, and it's the shiny 25%, and you know, there's not a lot of realness. But, again, I'm not on social media. I don't know what you all are saying out there. You could be great. but um, Or you could be saying really bad things about me, and I'm fine. Just I, I'll never see it. So... Um, but to, to boast is just to puff up, and arrogance kind of dovetails on top of that, is to pull up, to bear oneself loftily. So they kind of go hand in hand um, in that, that uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Uh, there's a passage, Colossians, that says that, that basically it's full of air. You know, it's a financial bubble. It's, you know, whatever you want to think of it. Is it it's just full of air. There's nothing there, but then love builds up a solid foundation that you can build on. So it's being big-headed versus big-hearted. Uh, rude is another one that, that uh, kind of surprised me, was uh, to act unbecoming, which is pretty much parallel with uh, what rude is. Uh, but basically it expresses itself in love in our relationships, mostly that it doesn't care for the sensitivities of others, uh, which means talking over other people, not listening, I don't really care what you have to say, think, or believe, and that it missing that, and I need to express what I have to say, and and that that's being rude. We kind of understand that, and in our culture, but again, that that's something that you know we look at it and go, the messenger shouldn't ruin the message. Um, and Matt and I've joked about this a couple of times where you deal with it. Persecution for persecution's sake doesn't get you anything. And if you're being persecuted because you're an idiot, it's because you're an idiot. It's not because, you know, of the message of Christ. That's not even getting through. If you're being belligerent and obnoxious and all this and, and people dislike you for it, well, get in line. Like, you know, everybody's going to dislike you for that. It's, you know, we don't need to be, we need to stand for truth and not be, you know, pushovers on it, but then also, you know, not be rude in the process and, and do that. Uh, insists on its own way, 
uh, read that contest here. It does not insist on its own way. So love is selfless and it's other-centered, uh, which again, this really flies in the face of uh, the Corinthian church because they were a church that was, they're there and they're there in concept, but in the context that they're in, they're fighting for position, they're fighting for prominence, they're, I have this gift, I'm going to exercise this gift, therefore, you know, I'm a higher status than you are, and that, so they're constantly in this uh, self-promotion and gain uh, mentality, and so love doesn't insist on its own way, it, it's promoting others, um, it's not irritable, which means uh, provoked, sharpened, exasperated, roused to anger. Again, exactly what I was talking about in my attitude in traffic. It's you do something, it's like kaboom, and immediately rage. It's like, that's not right. That's not loving. That's not, you know, it's not irritable. It's, it's the exact opposite of patience. Resentful um, is to think no evil, to consider as injury or affront, which means being a, a record keeper of wrongs. So if you're resentful, you're the person that keeps that list of like, well, you said so, and you've got this whole bag of stuff that you're pulling out every time you're going to talk to somebody, and, and there's this baggage, whereas love says, I keep no record of wrongs. I, I don't think of these things when I continue going forward. I'm going to dismiss that. I'm going to forgive that. Um, and again, it's not being stupid that, hey, this guy cheated me and took, Five bucks last time I gave it to him. Let me give him another, you know, don't be dumb. You know, it, it's, but be loving in approach. Again, you know the context, you know the situation of, of what someone's at, and then, you know, be giving in that. Love does not rejoice in wrongs. Um, even injustice, acts of unrighteousness. Because um, if we rejoice in something that's wrong, now we've put we've compounded the problem, is that there's the initial problem, like, okay, this is wrong, this is a bad thing. Now I've got the confusion of, I'm a Christian, and I'm saying, wow, this is great, this bad thing happened. Okay, now I'm putting an endorsement on this bad thing, so where are my values, what's my judgment here, what, you know, it's going to compound the problem of sin by putting a cover on it, is essentially that now there's confusion that, okay, this person that I know thinks this is good, and I don't quite get it, and and that. So that's where you'll see, you know, like a lot of us in church leadership with drinking and that kind of stuff is just don't do it. Again, if you all enjoy a wine or a beer or something in your house, that's great. Knock yourself out. It's awesome. You know, it's biblically it's okay. Don't get hammered and, and all that, but there's... If I go out and do that, we have a social gathering, and I you know, exercise my freedom. Okay, I'm going to go have a glass of wine here. And then you all see me. Let's just say we're just randomly in a restaurant, and like, oh, hey, and you know, what's he doing? He's drinking wine, and, and somebody has a problem with that. Now there's confusion that, okay, did I see him drink just one, or did he drink five, and that was his fifth one? What's going on? Does our church eldership think this is a good idea? Is it so? There's a little bit of confusion. Again, this this is a little bit more of a neutral thing, topic, but kind of makes the point where look at it and go, it's just not worth, you know, for me to drink a glass of wine. It's just not worth causing somebody else confusion. I'm not worried about you know going down and being a drunk and you know all that can happen to anybody, but. Uh, 
I'm not concerned about that for myself, but I'm more worried about what somebody else might now be confused with in that. So I don't want to rejoice in wrongs or, or raise up the wrong things. Um, and really, this kind of cuts to the heart of what gossip is, um, is another prime example of it, is something happens to somebody, oh man, i got to go tell somebody else because, boy, this is good. And so it's essentially carrying the weight of something like, ah, oh, did you hear so-and-so got caught in an affair and blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah, that's a bad thing, but now you're lifting it up and you're making much of it and like like this is a good thing. And, and the Corinthians took this to the nth degree that, you know, again, First Corinthians 7, just, you know, six chapters earlier, they're talking about the guy that, you know, had made love to his mother-in-law. And you're just like, and this is, this is a good thing? You're, you're happy? Like, what are you doing? And that's what Paul's coming down on. Like, don't rejoice in wrongs. This is terrible. And you know, we don't want to go there. Um, so verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Um, to bear, and again, is kind of to put up with, uh, to forbear, cover with silence, endure. And then the, the other one was protect from ridicule. So the idea is what we kind of have listed out in the process of uh, church discipline in Matthew 18, where it says, go to your brother, confront him, talk about it, deal with it, that doesn't work, go back, try again, bring somebody else, try again, then last resort, nothing's working, then, then go public, then take it to the church, and hey, we've got a major issue here, uh, what's going on? So the idea is you're bearing with somebody's sin, you're bearing with their condition, that you're providing a cover for it, that rather than, you know, being the finger that's pointing, hey, they're doing this, they're doing this, and, uh, and, and making a big thing of it, it's more of keeping things quiet, working with them, allowing them, you know, a, a grace, confronting them with it, because again, most times I've been confronted with stuff, it's been stuff I have no idea that I'm doing. Like, do you, do you realize when you say this, you sound like a total jerk? No. Uh, yeah, I can see that now. And so it, it's, again, understanding, and it, it kind of rolls into uh, the believe word that they use next, and that is giving the benefit of the doubt to somebody and giving you know, them the grace that, okay, I'm going to assume that this is an ugly situation. We're going to assume the best in somebody that, okay, this didn't sound right, but, okay, let's assume they didn't intend to say it that way and they intended something else. Um, again, you, you see this in your marriage. If if you want to have a rocky home, then just assume the worst in somebody. That well, he didn't put the dishes away, so and he must hate me, and he's not going to love me. And uh, no, I didn't realize they needed to get put away. Or you know, and now I've got. Well, why did you fly off the handle at me? And why did you do this? And and that. So yeah, if you want drama and contention, go ahead and assume the worst in somebody. And that. But if you want peace and you know, loving joy, then assume the best that, oh, you know what, either somebody didn't see that or maybe they were busy and, you know, you never know. So it, it assumes that and, and just, so we need to watch what conclusions that we jump to and where we go. And love hopes all things, which is the, the same kind of parallel that we have, uh, Hebrews 11, that you know, we're waiting for our salvation with joy and confidence that, you know, God is going to deliver us. Um, is this the characteristic that identifies us? And, you know, do we have hope that 
again, uh, that we can hope in love and hope in eternity and hope that, you know, uh, these things within, from assurance. Um, and love endures all things. So again, it remains, it's persevering uh, despite never negative circumstances. That love never fails or ends. Um, again, uh, the verse I read said, you know, God is love and God is eternal. So just right there we know, okay, love isn't going away like our gold bar and our list of deeds. It's, you know, this economy isn't failing. You know, this is something that we use here, but then we also, you know, bring with us into eternity and that. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to leave us with and kind of take a look at is ask the question, have we lost our first love? Uh, and that's something that, again, kind of hit me as I'm, I'm reading this, is it's easy to go through the motions, and it's easy to be what we call orthodox, and that's just, which means following the cultural program, following, you know, oh, hey, I got to show up for Sunday morning, and I got to be happy and shake a hand, and everything's well with my life, and then I'm going to go back, and you know, maybe I'll show up Wednesday night and do some youth or something like that. That's easy. That's easy to fake it. It's easy to go through the motions and all that stuff. But have we lost our first love? <clears throat> because it, it, it's, that's kind of the point of the Corinthian church. And then uh, Revelation 2, uh, the letters to the churches at the beginning of that, uh, we read through that, and that was the charge to the Ephesians church. And reading that section, I know as Christ talking to that church, is I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come remove your lampstand, unless you repent. So what catches me on this one is they're doing like 90% of it right. Like, they've got discernment. They, they, you cannot bear with those who are evil. You've tested them that are apostles and found them to be false. You, you've figured out discernment. you figured out, you know, how to tell apart good and evil. You're enduring patiently. For his name's sake, you've not grown weary. You know, there's a lot of these characteristics that are very mature and very you know, evident that we look at in a good, mature church, but of, you've lost your love. And that's the same message to the Corinthian church, and that's the same message to our church, is have we lost that love? Have we lost that biblical love of selflessness? Um, at the end of the day, that's, you know, if we want one word to replace what love is, it's selflessness. It's you know, pursuing the other, and emotions follow that. You know, that's the, the joy and peace and patience, you know, and all the stuff that we see in Galatians 5, that, you know, there's all this fruit that comes back when we lead the charge devoid of emotions, and then the emotions will follow. And that's where trust in God comes in. It doesn't make any sense. You know, it's not something that's rational or fit in. But um, so that, that's something that, again, we want to take to heart and kind of constantly look at. Um, again, we don't want to be a bunch of uh, navel starers where everything is woe is me and something's wrong with my life. But, you know, we, we always want to, because these things do come up in Scripture that are a little bit startling, that you can have most of it right, 
But he says, I will remove your lampstand unless you repent. So not having love was enough for Jesus Christ to say that of a church that's trying really hard. And so it, it's we're called to make these confrontations. And again, like I said, we, we don't want to be a asylum of depression here where everything's terrible all the time, but we also are called for some of these self-reflections. I know it's been something, you know, it's worked in my life. Um, preparing for this has been, you know, hard because, again, you have to ask that of yourself. And because we are the church, we are the family of God. This building has nothing to do with it. Thank heavens, because it's falling apart. But, um, and that, so something we always have to self-analyze and and that, so that's something I want to, you know, pray with that um, here as we close and just uh, kind of encourage you all to take a look at that. And then if we're missing it, we repent. You know, we, we just bring that up and say, God, I'm falling short on this. I'm missing this. Show me areas that I can go exercise love in and then do just that. Go, again, it's volitional. It's an act of the will. It's deliberate. You know, it's intentional. It's okay to be a little calculated with it. I was just like, ah, you know what? Because people, I'll tell you, uh, when we're going through some of our miscarriage stuff and even having Claire first time, and people showed love by giving us food. I mean, what a small, goofy little thing. You know, we look at when other people have had hard things going on, that's been like the bottom level of something that I thought of. I'm like, well, I can't carry their weight, but let me give them a sandwich. And you know, something, you, you feel chintzy and pathetic when you do it. And But I'll tell you what, I mean, that resonated to us when life's in chaos. you got stuff is upside down. You're trying to figure it all out. I don't want to figure out making a meal. And so when people would come up, wouldn't have to say a thing. Just walk up, hear Here's your meal. Hey, have a good night. We're praying for you. Awesome. And that stuff spoke. And that was volitional. Again, that, that was a lot of people just, you know, saying, oh, okay, there's a need. You know, I really don't feel like making a meal for my family and now making a meal for somebody else, but I'm just going to go do it. This is going to bless them great. Have a nice day. That's it. And that we've done that for other people. We've, same thing. It's like, I don't feel like it, but boy, I bet they don't feel like their circumstances. And so let me jump in. So don't be afraid to do that. Um, there's a little bit of the hesitation. Uh, you know, it's not a fake it till you make it kind of thing. But in a sense, it is a little bit. that Because what I'm saying is you go through the motions, you go do it, devoid of emotions. You're not necessarily going to want to or feel like or, wow, this person is really lovable, you know, like, Matt Brown is a very lovable guy. You know, if he needs a favor, oh, no, yep, no problem. Well, find the guy that ain't so lovable. Um, okay, do you need a favor? And do you need help doing something and go do that? And again, what you, you find out is those acts, when done through the motive of God and godliness, there's a string attached, and that's where the emotions of peace, joy, contentment, kindness, and all that follow with that. And then the more you do that, the more you practice that, the more you have peace Again, you can be completely isolated from the circumstance and thinking more of, like, wow, yeah, this is, you know, I'm, I'm doing God's work here. I'm, I'm part of that. So, you know, the emotions get close to it, but, again, sometimes you just have to bear down and make an act of choice. But, um, well, let's pray, and that can close us out. So, 
Dear God, we thank you uh, for the time in your word. Uh, We thank you for calling us as a family and calling us as believers, uh, calling us together to love one another. Um, God, we just thank you for the honesty that you give us in your word and that you call us for for each other. yeah, that's, that's very real. It's not fake. It's not something that uh, we have to manufacture like uh, fake emotions or fake passion or uh, something like that. And I just thank you for being transparent with the struggles um, and that in your word that, uh, again, you didn't use perfect people. Uh, you didn't use perfect circumstances, but uh, your perfect love is shown uh, through what's been accomplished. And We thank you for that. We pray for the faith that we need uh, to step out in love and trust that you are going to follow through. Um, But God, because we're releasing ourselves, we're releasing control, um, and we're releasing uh, our understanding a lot of times that this doesn't make sense uh, to proceed in love this way. And and I just pray that uh, you would give us faith to proceed and then uh, follow through with assurance that uh, we are serving you in a loving manner, and I pray that as a church, uh, that we can love each other as Christ loved the church, be sacrificial, creating a community that way, a tight-knit community um, that loves one another. And we thank you, in the name of Christ we pray in. Amen. If you all can stand, and we'll read a section in Ephesians 3 as a benediction here of being filled with love. So, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you and be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go ye therefore in love. You are dismissed.